You're listening to the Nothing But The Tooth Dentistry Podcast, where we help you attract new patients and grow your practice beyond your wildest dreams. Here's your host, two-time Emmy Award winner, Shane Simmons. Welcome back, everybody, to the Nothing But The Tooth Dentistry Podcast. I am your host, Shane Simmons, and as we are recording this today, it is uh, just a few days before Thanksgiving holiday, so wishing all of you and yours out there a very happy Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully you get to spend some time with friends, family, and those who are special to you in your life. And uh, guys, today uh, I'm really excited because you know this is someone I've been wanting to uh, talk to on the podcast for quite some time, and you know I've known of this man. Many of you probably have heard of him. If not, uh, you are in for a treat today. His name is Robert Montgomery, and he is the founder of Your Dental Lawyer. Um, his website is yourdentallawyer.com, but he is basically. Um, just as the name describes, a lawyer for everything dentistry. And I can't tell you how important that I think it is to have people who are embedded in the industry to be the ones who are, you know, service providers for dentists. So whether that's your attorney, whether that's your marketing firm, like us at Crimson Media and what we do, you know, I really feel like you should have someone, you know, your accountant, your CPA, who is specialized in dentistry if you are a dentist, because those are the people who are in it every single day, um, just in their uh, specific service. And so that's what I really like about Robert. He's really niched down into dentistry, and he's helping a lot of people out there. And today's podcast, we're going to specifically talk about you know when you are purchasing a practice, or maybe it's a startup that you're going to be building, what are like three things that you really need to look for uh, to see if that's going to be a good purchase or a good investment for yourself? Um, that, that That's something that I feel like a lot of people go out there and they buy practices that are dying in many ways where you know the the previous dentist wasn't doing any marketing the previous dentist you know patient pool wasn't maybe your ideal patient pool and, and, and an existing practice that you buy almost becomes a startup I mean there are so many factors out there and so many different variables that you need to be looking at before you're purchasing a practice and so after this episode today you are going to know uh, some of the specific things that you need to be looking at when purchasing a practice. So I'm really excited about that. And of course, uh, today's episode is uh, run in conjunction with Crimson Media Dental Marketing. That is our dental marketing firm where we're helping dentists build freedom in their practice through proven online marketing. Maybe it's search engine optimization. You need to get to the top of Google. Maybe it's specific Google ads, Facebook ads, uh, driving more you know, new patients, implant patients, whatever the case may be to your practice. Um, you know, Be sure to look us up at crimsonmediagroup.com, and we also post all of our podcasts there so you can always check Check out our archive, uh, different podcasts. But we're doing this so that we can help all of you listeners out there give you some, uh, you know, free, valuable information from some of the thought leaders in dentistry and help propel your career and make you um, just make you a happier and more fulfilled person. So that's the whole reason we're doing this. So uh, enough of me. Without further ado, here is my friend, your dental lawyer, Robert Montgomery. 
All right, everybody, I am excited to have Rob Montgomery on the podcast today. Uh, I've followed Rob uh, for last probably three years or so now. Uh, he's a co-host of the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman, who's a friend of the show. And I've uh, met Rob a, a few different times at some events out in Philadelphia. And he provides a service that I think is just so important for all of our listeners here. He is a you know, dental-focused attorney. And so I'm going to let him kind of ex explain what he does and how long he's been doing it for. But before we get into that, uh, Rob, first of all, I just want to say thanks for hopping on the podcast here with us today. And, and how's everything in, in your world going? Things are good. Thanks for having me, Shane. It's uh, it's nice to nice to be on the show. A lot of times I'm on podcasts with people in the dental world that I haven't met. So at least uh, you and I have have uh, shook hands and, and 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 met before. So it's it's nice to uh, it's a privilege to be on the show. And thanks for having me. We're you know uh, commiserating that as we record this, it's a, a very cold day uh, in Philadelphia in November. Too cold, uh, but we're very busy. We've got lots of deals going on and the end of the year becomes a busier time for us. So uh, things are kind of buzzing in the office. So it's, uh, while it's a little uh, uh, exhausting, it's also exciting, but uh, it's, uh, things are all good here. Rob and I have you know something in common that, that is neither one of us are dentists, yet we are embedded in the dental community. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a really kind of a unique, fun position to be in uh, when you're not a, you know, a dentist or a hygienist or anything like that and be in the community. So I guess that kind of leads me to my first question, Rob. Um, tell me a little bit about what it is you do, but also how did you get into dentistry? Yeah, uh, good question. So we represent... Uh, dentists almost exclusively. A couple of years ago, I would have said it was exclusively, but now we do have some uh, veterinarian clients. Uh, and so for those uh, clients, we help with uh, purchasing and selling practices. Uh, we help with real estate uh, negotiations for leases or acquisitions for startups, we help people with partnership agreements, employment agreements, really all of the business things that come up in the course of a dental practice. Uh, we don't do any litigation, thankfully. Uh, when I started off as a lawyer uh, 24 years ago, uh, I was primarily a litigator. And over time, that aspect of my practice kind of phased out. And now we just help people that are, that are doing deals and, uh, and uh, with, you know, the business things, what I would consider, you know, for our dental, dental listeners, uh, you know, this is sort of like the well wellness kind of work. So we're not dealing with the sick people, the litigation, we're dealing with the people that are doing cool things. And, and it's fun. Uh, we've got a, uh, a team of, uh, of six lawyers um, that you know, do nothing but these, uh, these types of deals. And I would say, you know, I got into the uh, representing dentists, really, even before I was an attorney, when I was working in, uh, in law school for a firm, who uh, had a big client that had 12 locations uh, at the time. And uh, you know, I did work for, for that client while I was a law clerk. And then when I was an associate, and then when I went on my own, they ended up coming with me and they had people that left them and uh, started group practices. And, you know, just like, you know, Shane, next thing you know, you start meeting a lot of people in the same world. And oh, yeah. Uh, we're all plugged into the same uh, big community of, uh, of servicing and, and helping uh, dentists and just developing those relationships. And so over time, it was always a large component of my practice where I represented 
really at one time, I guess probably like three pretty large groups and they were, that was most of the business. And then they all sold off to private equity. Um, so as they were doing that, luckily I was able to kind of develop more of a practice where we were dealing with people that were buying their first practice or doing a startup. And um, that's really the bulk of our practice, though a lot of our old private equity guys that did those deals have now kind of come back because their covenants not to compete have now expired. So now we've got like a little bit of both. Uh, and, uh, and it's fun. You know, we, uh, we love working with dentists. I, you know, as a professional, you know, appreciate the challenges of running a, a small to medium size professional practice. And I love uh, counseling dentists at what is a really exciting time of their, of their life and career is uh, Dr. Nacho likes to say, it's like being involved in these deals is like being present at the birth of somebody's child, you know? So if somebody's buying a practice, it's an exciting time in their life and it's a defining time professionally. So it's fun to be involved with that and help people realize their, their dream, and their vision. That's awesome, man. And, and I love that, you know, you are almost exclusively, you know, with the exceptions of some veterinary clinics uh, in dentistry, because, you know, that's what I tell people about, like, when you're looking at a service provider, whether it be an attorney or, you know, what we do, a marketing firm, I just think it's so important to have um, that provider be, you know, almost exclusively, or at least the majority of the work that they do in your field. So if you're a dentist, you know, looking at, hiring a dental specific marketing company or a dental specific you know, CPA or attorney, whatever the case may be, because they just know the industry, I feel like, because they are in it every single day versus maybe more of a, a generalized, you know, firm. And, and that's just my opinion, but that's something that I really like that you guys do. And, you know, always, uh, you know, referring people to you when they're, when they're asking for a, a dental attorney. And you've probably seen some of the ones on Facebook. I always get it. And uh, I'm like, oh, I know who it is because it, that's a brand you've developed, which is something that we can really appreciate. Um, one of the things that we really want to talk about here today, and I'm excited to have Rob on for this, is a lot of you have told me that you are in the phase of looking at going out on your own and purchasing an existing practice. Some of you are doing startups, um, but a lot of you are going out and purchasing existing practices. And, you know, BuzzFeed and all these different organizations uh, kind of made the rule popular of, you know, two things, three things, four things you need to know. Um, and I found that that format has worked really well here uh, for the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about three things you should know when purchasing an existing practice. And Rob is going to give us uh, some insight on that. So the first thing, Rob, um, why don't you tell us maybe one of the first things people need to look at and why they need to look at that when they're going to be purchasing um, a practice? Sounds good, Shane. And before I do, let me just say one thing, because when I have my podcast uh, with Paul, we have our disclaimer at the front. So since I'm a lawyer, I have to say uh, we're going to talk about legal-ish kind of topics here, uh, but I'm not giving anybody legal advice. So uh, anybody that hears anything here, you know, this is just for information purposes. It's not me giving you legal advice, which I will tell you, Shane, it's kind of funny in the world we live in sometimes with podcasts and social media. Sometimes I'll be talking to a new client who will say, uh, you know, well, Rob, you said A, B, and C. I'm thinking, have I ever talked to this person before? And then, and then they say, well, yeah, you said that on the podcast. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on for a second. You've got a totally different situation here. Let's just back up. I didn't give you that legal advice. So just throw that out there before we, uh, before we get rolling. Smart so, move. Yeah. So there's, um, 
Yeah, there's there's so many things. And, you know, Shane, as I said, when you said three things, I think like, wow, how do I whittle that list down to three? And I might even add a fourth because I, you know, it's, it's a tie for the, for the other one. Uh, I think that one of the crucial things for a practice acquisition is that the dentist works with the right team and you know, the right team being the right people, the right types of professionals and consultants, and then, you know, and then the, the consultants and professionals that have the right experience. So, you know, at the outset, you know, a few minutes ago, you said that it's really important to work with people that have experience in the, in the dental industry and, and know the dental business. And I, I really do believe that that is really true. Uh, when we work with people uh, who have advisors that are on our side, uh, or even somebody that's a lawyer or CPA on the other side of a deal, it's, it's immediately recognizable to us who doesn't understand or doesn't have a lot of experience in the dental industry. And I think where that is probably most important is obviously, I'm a little biased, I'll say the, the legal services aspect, but also uh, when it comes to CPAs, accountants. So, you know, every team that you're assembling for an acquisition should include a good dental-specific CPA and a good dental-specific uh, attorney. And the roles of those people will change a little bit, but for the most part, the CPA should be doing the numbers and the uh, and the economics of the deal, and the lawyers looking out for protecting uh, the, the client from a legal standpoint. Depending on the client comes in, if they are somebody that already has a relationship or the first relationship is with a lawyer, oftentimes the lawyer would be kind of like the, the quarterback of the overall deal, making sure that they're talking to the right lender, the right CPA, the right marketing people, the right insurance credentialing people, all those things which are really, really important. But uh, the deals that we see problems with, and these are not clients of ours, thankfully, but when people come to us that have done quote unquote bad deals, uh, almost overwhelmingly the failure occurred at the due diligence time, uh, that the practice was not evaluated properly and scrutinized properly from a financial standpoint. And that comes up and manifest itself in like different ways. Uh, one of them being where a client got lulled into a false sense of security that a dual representation broker was able to give them advice on the, uh, the valuation and the viability of the deal. Uh, and, you know, they relied on that or they were working with a CPA or an accountant that didn't know what to look for when they were looking at a dental practice uh, to purchase. So, you know, an accountant could look at numbers and the numbers all make sense, but when you have a dental specific CPA, they could start to look at other things of, you know, what types of insurance plans are accepted here? What percentage of this practice is fee for service? What percentage of this practice is, participates in Medicaid? All these things have an enormous impact on the value of the practice. And, you know, deals and, and, and acquisitions and just the dental world generally has a very low default rate on loans and leases, which is great. You know, that means that, you know, a dentist can buy a practice and, and not go bankrupt or do a startup and not go bankrupt the overwhelming majority of the time. But nobody should 
really, that, that shouldn't be the, the goal here to not fail. So I cringe a lot of times when I'm at these, you know, seminars and I hear the dental bankers come up, which is fine. They say, oh, low, default rates are so low. I think, yeah, that's great. But, you know, what you really need to do is be thinking about thriving. And so you can kind of go through and make a lot of mistakes at any level, but especially even at the due diligence level and, and not fail. But if you do things wrong, it can really inhibit your ability to, to prosper, you know, over, you know, five, 10 years or even your whole career. And with dental practices, unlike real estate, where, you know, the world that we've lived in recently, if you borrow money on a, to buy a house and the value of the house goes down and, you know, you owe more than what it's worth. Yeah. A lot of times you can give it back to the bank and do some sort of short sale. You can't do that in the dental world. So if you do a deal that's a bad deal where you've paid more than what a practice is worth, it's not that easy to unload it. And, you know, it can be a real ball and chain. So uh, it's super important to be working with the right dental CPA who's going to look at and evaluate a practice, not just the vet from the valuation standpoint, that's sort of the obvious easy thing. You know, people say, oh, it's 75% of gross. It's a good price. Yeah. I mean, that's nice that the valuation might be okay. And obviously that short form of, you know, formula for determining a price is also overrated. And we could probably talk about that for an entire show, Shane, but we'll leave that for another time. But, you know, what a dental, good dental specific CPA is really going to help is what is the cash flow going to look like after the deal? How much money can you expect to make in this practice with the conditions being what they are realistically? I say realistically because you may be dealing with a broker on the other side who's giving you some unrealistic projections. But to realistically look at the deal and say, this is probably how much money you're going to make after you do this deal. You borrow the money and you pay for the practice. Are you happy with that? Does that, does that make sense for you? And that's a number that everybody needs to have. And that's the type of thing that really only a good dental CPA can, can do for their clients. So the importance of working with, with them, the importance of working with, again, a good lawyer that knows you know, what things are important to have, but also to know what's commercially reasonable. You know, and so, you know, we tell clients a lot of times, you know, part of our job is to is to guide them so that they're not their own worst enemy. So you have to be able to tell them that, hey, what you're asking for here is crazy. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's getting that back off it because you're going to kill your your own deal. So much of that is just knowing what's reasonable and in the dental space. And if you're not somebody that's doing these deals all the time, you know, you're just looking at the language on a piece of paper. And I had a deal not too long ago where I had a opposing counsel who I don't think had ever done a dental deal. She said she'd done several, but I didn't really believe her, um, who just took such a, a hands-off role when it came to helping her client with the financing. And, you know, she said, well, I, I've got nothing to do with that. And I said, well, you know, there's not going to be a deal here without the financing. Like you have to get involved. Right. You know? and so she didn't really even appreciate that. So these are the types of things that, you know, somebody that understands the, the, the world and the, the dental world can help with. Same thing with, with marketing, you know, what, what are best practices? What are the best ways? What are the tried and proven ways to do things? Because whether you're talking about the law or marketing, there's a lot of similarities. We take what we know uh, worked for some people or didn't work for others, and we integrate that into what we're telling our clients. So it's like when you have people that are involved in that space, 
then you are now kind of riding the shirt tails or, you know, of everybody else's, you know, successes and failures. And now you're getting advice of this works. And I've seen this work a lot of times and I've seen this not work. Here's what you should do. And here's what you should not do, which is invaluable. It's the, that, that's well said. It's the whole foundation that you're going to be building upon really uh, from the very beginning. And if you don't get the foundation right, right off the bat, uh, you're really going to have some headaches moving forward in the future. And, and I like how you put it. You're not getting into this to just not go bankrupt or, you know, or just to survive. You want to thrive in your practice that you are purchasing. And so I really liked um, the way you put that. Now, I know this, the one thing we want to talk about, and I guess this could kind of be you know, the second thing here, is uh, financing. Because one of the things that I hear, um, and as you hear as well, Rob, is a lot of uh, newer dentists are coming out with a ton of student loan debt. Uh, mm-hmm. Student loan debt's getting higher and higher in the dental field. And a lot of them are worried that because they have a lot of debt, they're not going to be able to get a loan. So I want you, uh, with your... Uh, experience here, Rob. Let us know what what is you know true with that. Is, is that true that these new dental students graduating are going to have a harder time getting loans, um, or is that just uh, you know a misconception? Urban myth. Yep, total misconception. Uh, and it's funny because I was uh, on a, a show recently, and that was the whole topic. Uh, and I will say that you know we see if we don't see many of those people in our practice. Okay, because the people that are really concerned about their student loan debt and their inability to do things don't make it to Rob Montgomery's office. Right? We deal with the entrepreneurs. Okay, and the entrepreneurs in the dental world are the people that don't mind that they have debt. That what they're concerned about is cash flow, is making money, growing their practices, doing things that are you know that are positive, and they're not focused on that on that negative. I mean, student loan debt, in my opinion, should be regarded like any other investment. You know, this is what you need to pay to get this return on that investment. And I will say that, you know, people that are, you know, not planning on trying to get into practice ownership somehow that just want to be associates, which is fine to do that, then, you know, for them, the formula and the the, the analysis, you have to really look carefully at student loan debt versus what your upside is as an associate from a salary standpoint where you don't have equity in the business and practice that you're working for. But the people that we work with uh, who, you know, work with the lenders that are willing to lend to this look at student loan debt only in the sense that what is the debt service on that? What is the monthly payment? And that banks look at that just like they look at your mortgage payment or your apartment lease or your car payment. What are your fixed monthly costs? And one of those being student loan debt. And lenders are not uncomfortable at all with lending to people with what I would consider to be huge amounts of student loan debt, huge amounts of negative net worth, and negative net worth being where you owe more money than you have assets, uh, and which is you know provides tremendous opportunities for. Uh, for young dentists that are looking to buy practices. As a result, there are, you know, because we said, you know, I poo-pooed a few minutes ago, the whole, you know, low default rate. But the good thing about that is there's a lot of competition 
among banks to get into this dental space to make these loans because the default rates are so low and there are opportunities there and when there's any type of competitive environment in business then generally the prices go down and so what we see are more and more lenders getting into the space there's more and more competition and that the loan terms that dentists get to buy practices or buy real estate are among the best of, of any small and medium-sized business in our, in our lending uh, banking economy. Wow. So uh, the fact that that debt is out there really shouldn't be a concern, I don't think, and, and certainly banks don't care. What matters more from a, a lending standpoint, I would say sort of a few things to think about. One is banks like to see that the dentist has worked for at least a couple of years. There are banks out there that will lend to people that are relatively fresh grads, but it's important to go out and get experience and try to make yourself a good producer and learn the profession and be somebody that can service the patients and be able to make the cash flow work. The second thing is liquidity. So uh, a lot of times we'll see uh, people with the misconception that, hey, I've got a lot of student loan debt, so I'm going to make myself more bankable because I'm going to buy a practice. And granted, they do this without seeking advice from accountants or lawyers <laughs> or other financial planners that understand the world. This is another way, you know, i.e., this is why it's important to be working with the dental person or somebody that knows the, uh, knows the industry. Um, and they say, well, you know, I, I'll be a lot more attractive as a, uh, as a borrower if I have less student loan debt. So I'm going to get my money and just keep paying down that student loan debt and maybe they're living in their parents' basement. And then they go and they apply for a loan. And the bank wants to see how much cash they have in the bank. And they say, well, I, I don't have anything. I've been paying down my student loan debt. Isn't this great? I was, last year it was 325. Now I'm down to 200. It doesn't care. They don't care about that. They now see that you are somebody that doesn't have any money in the bank. So a lot of lenders require at least some minimal amount of liquidity up to as much as 10% of the loan. So, you know, if you're looking to buy a practice that costs 70, I'm sorry, 700 or $800,000, like you got to have like roughly 70,000 or so dollars in your bank account to make you uh, more attractive from a, uh, from a lending standpoint. So that, that's a really uh, a crucial thing for people, people to realize. And then that just really goes with, you know, the overall thing that we're talking about, which is banks are looking at the cash flow of the practice, which is, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I've been pre-approved to buy a practice. I will say that's almost meaningless. You know, all that means, I shouldn't say it's meaningless. That means that you have a good credit score and there's nothing funky that the bank's going to run away from you. Okay. Um, but what really matters when it comes to approvals to buy a dental practice from a lender is the cash flow, the financial picture of a practice you are buying. So if that is a healthy cash flowing practice, then that's what the lender wants to see. You also have to have some threshold credit score. You know, if you filed bankruptcy two years ago, it doesn't matter how good the cash flow is on the practice you're buying, but just with a solid credit score, there, and you're, what you're looking for was money in the bank and uh, a good cash flow of the practice that you're buying, then it doesn't matter really how much student loan debt you have. Wow. That's a couple of things that I, I took away there. And the first thing is it's almost when you talk about it doesn't matter you know, how much student loan debt you have, it kind of goes against 
everything that you think of traditionally that we're taught about finances, you know, it's like paying down as much of your debt as possible. And, um, you know, we were kind of like taught that, uh, I feel like generally speaking, but what you're saying is a lot of times, you know, it, you need to have, you know, cash in the bank, but also you can use, uh, the fact that you are in the dental profession because there's such, um, you know, high upside, I guess, for the lending institutions for you, that you can use that as, as leverage, uh, even though you have uh, a high amount of debt, but don't think that you have to go out and pay down huge amounts of your you know, student loan debt, et cetera, because uh, ultimately that's going to leave you with less cash and the, the banks are really going to be looking at the cash that you have in the bank and not as much into the student loan debt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they want to know that you've got enough in the in the bank to cover the rainy days. Yeah, that that is that is in super insightful out there because it goes like again against a lot of what I hear people talking about out there on on trying to you know pay off all their student loans before they they go out and and purchase a practice. So that is really great insight. Uh, last the, the third thing here that I that I want to talk about, Rob, is how do you know? you know, what is good real estate investment as far as when you're purchasing a practice, you know, where is a good spot? And I'm going to, we had talked about this earlier and I have heard, you know, just people talking and they'll say, well, you know, if you see a, a McDonald's and a Starbucks and all these different, you know, big chain places uh, on your street and there's a practice right there that you're going to purchase, that must be a, a good location because these companies have done tons of research into those areas. And if they're investing, you know, all of their money there, then it's a good spot for you. What do you say to that person who says, well, I've got a McDonald's across the street, and a Starbucks, this must be a good dental office purchase. What do you say to that? That's a great place to get a cheeseburger and a cup of coffee. <laughs> right? uh, I think that, you know, if, a couple, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, and let me, before I get into it, let me just say, you know, Stephen Trotter, uh, who's a, a friend of mine, and we do a lot of work together with mutual clients. He's uh, one of the partners at uh, Ideal Practices, which is a great uh, startup practice consulting firm. Uh, he, he really hits the nail on the head with this issue when he says, you know, you're, if you're driving down the street and you see a McDonald's and you've got your kids in the back, you might pull in and get some fries or you're, you know, driving to a meeting in the morning and you've got an extra few minutes and you drive by a Starbucks, you're going to go in and get a cup of coffee. Nobody ever drives by a dental office and says, I want to go in and get a crown. Okay. So while it's nice to have those visible spaces, those high visibility spaces, pad sites for the most part, we're talking about in retail centers are probably the most expensive piece of real estate in town, okay? Because Starbucks needs you to drive by and think, oh, I got to get my coffee fix. Or McDonald's needs to know that when you've got, you know, three screaming kids in the back seat that you can go in there and get some fries and, and restore order, okay? But, you know, dentists don't need that. There are other ways to market, to drive patients to your practice so you don't necessarily need to spend all that money to be in that prominent place. You can just as easily be across the street, down the street, in the back of the center. Uh, if, if all things being equal, if the rent someplace else is the same as the rent where Starbucks is, which would really be a rare thing, then, hey, sure, why not grab it? But you know, do you wanna pay two or three times the cost to be in that very prominent area as a dentist? You know, quite likely not. Uh, and the other thing too is, 
demographics. You know, that scenario that you just laid out, Shane, where somebody calls and says, you know, hey, Rob, I found this great location. It's next to a Dunkin' Donuts and there's a, uh, a Walmart in the shopping center. And that's it. That's all the demographic studies they've done, you know, and you could say, well, yeah, Walmart must have figured this was good, uh, a good place, you know, good population density here and financial, you know, whatever uh, strength of the, of the population within two miles worked for this. And same thing with, you know, a Starbucks or a McDonald's. But that doesn't mean that the demographics are good for a dentist. So, you know, one of the sort of the, 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 the variables or one of the factors in looking at demographics is you know, how many people are there, and how close to the, to the business, to the office. But then the other component is how many dentists are there? So, you know, just because there is a, a Starbucks there, again, that's a good place to sell coffee. But if there are 40 dentists within two miles of that office, I don't care how many people you know, or going into that Starbucks, that's probably not a good place to put a dental office. And I think a lot of times people kind of feel like, well, if I get the foot traffic, I'll get the people. Maybe, but maybe not. Because again, there's 40 dentists in the area. Maybe these people like their dentists just because they walk by your front door in this expensive uh, you know, leased space next to the Starbucks across the way from the Walmart and down the way from the McDonald's doesn't mean that they're going to walk into your office and say, that's it. I am, I, I, you know, I've been going to my dentist for 20 years and I've walked past this new office. I'm going to go in. Maybe some people will do it, but I think it's an unrealistic thing to expect. So when you're doing a startup or even acquiring a practice, it's important to understand what the real demographics are uh, of that, of that area and that they're good for a dental practice, not necessarily some restaurant or retail uh, business. Yeah, unless McDonald's starts uh, putting jawbreakers in their hamburgers and chicken nuggets, uh, may not be the best right. uh, the best location to be right next to one. No, I I totally agree with that. And you know, one of the things that um, I, I guess in your experience, you know, there are obviously people who are going to be buying practices in you know urban locations, you know, such as you know Philadelphia or New York City or you know even in Indianapolis where we're at. And then there are those who you know, buy in maybe more rural communities or suburb uh, type areas. Obviously, you know, it's, it's different for all of these locations, but I guess what are some things that you go over? I'm just curious with your clients um, as far as how do you know you have a, a good location or, you know, what, what, is there anything that people should be looking for? Well, strictly from a demographic standpoint, you know, there are firms out there that do demographic studies that will tell you how many dentists there are for the population. And that's important. I think, uh, again, I'll talk about ideal practices. It sounds like a commercial for those guys, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> you know, but Jamie Amos really kind of imprinted on me the importance of, you know, the culture of the practice and the vision, you know, and what, and, you know, and there's some people that'll say, you know, to, to me or to some of my colleagues, like, where's the best place in the country to go, you know, start up a practice or where's the best place in the country to buy a practice? And it's like, well, are you, are you willing to go there? Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe not. You know, so it really depends on the individual and what they want. But, you know, overall, what I would say is 
when you're looking at the location, you're looking at the practice, we can assess all of these things, the financial aspects of it. We can, we can quantify that and do a, you know, a post-closing cash flow projection. We can do the demographics and boil it down to like how many people, how many dentists, what the financial, uh, you know, inc the uh, household income is for, you know, the population within two miles. We get really statistical with all this stuff and say like, hey, this is a good dental practice, you know, or this is a good location. But if it doesn't fit with what the dentist wants, it doesn't matter how good it is if it's not the type of practice that you want. And what I mean by that is if, you know, you are buying a practice that you feel is culturally different, that they're doing procedures differently, that they have a different philosophy, different mindset, uh, you know, there's just a practice that you look at and say, hey, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to come in and change everything, which a lot of people, uh, you know, come to us and they'll say that. And I'll say, well, then why are you buying this practice? You know, like if you're, you're buying something that you're going to have to put all this money in to make it something other than what it is, all you're buying is goodwill, you know, and if you're not, if you don't like the goodwill or you want to start messing with that to the point where you may start to lose that or change that, just go to a startup. You know, like buying a practice that is not consistent with the type of practice that you want to run is a bad idea. And Jamie Amos talks about that as being a, you know, the surfer dentist should buy a surfer dental practice, which is funny when you first hear it, but it's true. You know, so if patients are people that, you know, hey, you know, if the waves are going to be big, maybe you know, the office is closed that day. And that's okay because I get that because I don't want to go to the office that day because I'm going to go out surfing and I'm going to cancel my appointment because I know the doc's not going to be there. And maybe I'll see the doctor out there on the break, you know, and that's, that's cool. You know, but that's, that's, you can't try to buy a surfer dental practice and then turn it into, you know, some, you know, big corporate thing or, you know, shiny new stuff that's totally different, has different hours and changes the whole field of practice. And that's something that you can't quantify. So where I see people sometimes go wrong is just saying, just focusing on those numbers, focusing on the statistics and forgetting about the fact like, hey, am I buying something that I really want? Because if it's not, something that you really want or like mostly what you want, then maybe you shouldn't be paying for that. You know, and I would also liken it to, Hey, you know, I'm going to, uh, I found this person out there that I significant other that I really like. I think we're going to get married. And after we get married, I'm going to change these 10 things about them. It just doesn't work. You know, <laughs> if your buddy goes and tells you that you tell them right away, like that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Right. It's kind of the same thing with practices. Buy things that you like, that are similar to what your vision is and what you, what you want for your practice. And sometimes that might be that maybe the numbers or the stats are not quite as good for that, but that's okay because if it's something that's consistent with what you want and what you can leverage and you can improve on because it is the type of practice that you want, that can be more valuable than, you know, the, all the numbers that tell you to go to, you know, this place on the map in the middle of whatever state, you know, that has the best, possible ge geography, you know, because if you're not happy with that, or if it's not the type of practice that you want, and the type of patients that you want to serve, the numbers don't matter. I think that's super important. What you just said is a lot of people have their own vision, their own culture that they want to create. And knowing that the practice that you're going to be purchasing, you know, better share, you know, already a, a similar culture or similar type of practice. Otherwise, 
uh, like you said, it, it may just be a better idea to purchase a different practice or uh, just do your startup because uh, you can't go in and completely change something. And it's just going to be way more money, way you're going to lose a lot of patients that way, existing patients. And um, I think you, you nailed it right there with that. So just to kind of summarize what we talked about, guys, so it's you know, making sure that you have the, the right team on board from the very beginning, your CPA, your attorney, like making sure that they're helping you quarterback this whole deal to make sure that you're getting the right practice for you. The second thing is with financing. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there uh, about paying off student loan debt before you go out and try to get a loan. You want to make sure that, you know, you have cash in the bank, even if you have a significant amount of student debt, because uh, dentistry is something that you can kind of leverage really when it comes to borrowing money. And I think that's really important for everybody to know. And then final thing is real estate. It's not always just about the demographics. It also has to be a cultural fit as well and the kind of practice that you're wanting to build upon it can't be just something you start you know fresh with an existing practice uh, because you're likely going to be running into more headaches uh, than if you would have just <laughs> did a dental startup so uh, rob that was really insightful i've enjoyed this conversation a ton and and i want you to go ahead and, and tell our listeners you know for those of you out there who are considering uh, you know, purchasing a practice, I think you really need to talk with, with Rob and his team. So how can they get a hold of you, Rob? And then we'll, we'll also post the information and the details here. Yeah, the best way uh, to get a hold of us and to learn more about the firm is to go to our website, which is yourdentallawyer.com. And uh, my email's in there too, rob at rmontgomery-law.com. Uh, but uh, we have lots of resources on there, uh, some webinars. It's actually a relatively new redesign of our website. So there's more stuff coming on all the time, but we have presentations and seminars that we've done. And of course, uh, we have links to the uh, uh, episodes of the Dental Amigos podcast, which I do with, uh, with Dr. Paul Goodman. Uh, so lots of resources there and ways to, uh, to get in touch with, with all of us. Yeah, definitely, guys. Ch chat with them, and um, you're going to learn a ton. And you got to have the right people in your corner when you are going to be purchasing any sort of practice or doing a startup. It, it is so important from the very beginning to have the right people. So I highly recommend you guys reaching out to them. And we will have the details below this episode, so you can go check that out. Rob, thank you so much for joining us here, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again here soon in the in the city of brotherly love. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, thanks for having me, Shane. It's a pleasure and look forward to seeing you too soon. How about that, everybody? That was an awesome interview and I'm going to have to bring him back on so we can talk a little bit more um, about some of the, the things he brought up specifically because uh, there's a lot there and obviously a short amount of time that we have for this podcast. But that is just some gold that Robert was sharing with all of you, and, and I hope that you can uh, take that and use that in your life and in your practice because uh, this guy has a lot of experience, and I'm really grateful for him sharing that here on the podcast. So without further ado, guys, it would be awesome if you could go to the Nothing But The Tooth Dentistry podcast on iTunes, and uh, if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a review. That really, really helps us out. I, I would greatly appreciate that. And uh, always, you can go to crimsonmediagroup.com if you are looking for dental marketing and looking to help grow your practice with proven online marketing. That is where you can find us again. That's crimsonmediagroup.com. Pay us a visit, uh, and you can always reach out to us there if you need any help with that. Without uh, with all the notes, I guess, that I have got taken care of here, 
go and have a happy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this before Thanksgiving. If you're listening to it afterwards, you know, listen, have a great day, make it a positive one, and make a positive impact in someone's life. Take care.